0: I'm so excited. I just finished this call with Corrine Bell. You're about to hear it. It's amazing. Corrine is a somatic experiencer and an anthropologist. And this is such an interesting conversation because we talk about lineage and movement and the importance of expressing emotions. But the reason I wanted to get Corrine on was because she had studied a dance ministry in a Southside Chicago Black Baptist church. And this church was in a neighbourhood that was really characterised by poverty and violence. And... I was so fascinated to explore that story, but we go into all kinds of rad places. We talk about religion. We talk about expression. We talk about grief. We talk about joy. We talk about movement. We talk about embodiment. This is a really amazing conversation. Corrine is like a goddess. I'm in love. And (laughs) I'll just stop like fawning all over her. Let me introduce you to Corrine Bell. Enjoy. Creativity, self-expression and feelings. Creativity, self-expression and feelings. Make some noise, make some noise, make some noise. Make some noise, make some noise, make some some noise. noise. Make Make some noise. It's a podcast. Okay, let's
1: hear it. I'm Corrine Bell, and I'm a somatic educator, and I'm a mindfulness and embodiment teacher and coach. I'm also an anthropologist, and one of the primary things that I say about myself is that I'm a lineage healer. Wow! I see myself. I work absolutely. I, I see the work that I do as I'm a mother. That I see the work that I do as you know what I do professionally and what I do in my work as a human being to heal from a lot of the inherited and early life traumas that I developed over the course of my life. And my work is to break with um, the legacy of that trauma for myself, of course, but also for my children. And I truly believe that the work that, you know, that we do in that capacity, like the work that you are doing, anytime that we that we heal some aspect of our disconnection or anytime we're able to find joy again, you know, despite what is, has what is, um, come before us or what has blocked our capacity to feel that joy and to feel the fullness of our human experience, anytime we heal that, we're healing, we're healing a broken chain in a sense, right? And I really see, you know, for many of us as women, we've inherited so much from our own families but also as women, we have a legacy of trauma as women in this world. And I feel like a lot of the work that I'm doing, a lot of the work that a lot of people in this, in this realm are doing is a reclamation, totally. right,
0: yeah. of
1: all of the ways that we can feel um, the, uh, the fullness of our being, our authenticity, um, our joy, our love, our freedom of expression, and just really feel ourselves fully, and it it heals the future in the sense the work we do now. But I also have this very very strong sense that it it heals the past because it turns you know these stories from the past that are you know broken and and painful. It's like an act of kind of trauma alchemy, right? Mm, yeah. It turns what what is a lump of coal into this beautiful 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 gold um you know and it it makes it kind of all it it makes it more of a part of an unfolding story rather than this was bad and now this is good it that was maybe traumatic and difficult but it became you know yeah, the material what it transforms for, into rather yeah. than yeah yeah totally. absolutely and so i really i love this idea of being a lineage healer it's a it's a deep honor for me and i feel like it all, also honors my mother who was very deeply traumatized and and she died from her traumas. Um, and so, you know, when I became a mom, I was like, nope, it stops with me and it changes now.
0: Yeah, totally. And I feel like there, there are so many people in the world, you know, for myself I've run um, little programs and stuff over the last few years about things like finding your frequency and really what that is about and what what about what so much work is about these days where it used to be about finding your purpose it's now mm-hmm. kind of going through the process of unlearning and deconditioning yourself right absolutely absolutely in all the ways that that conditioning is
1: in us really in in in, in the fascia of our bodies in the muscle holding tension patterns that we have you know we have these ways that we we don't even realize that the at the implicit level of our lived embodied experience we're holding on we're living memories in a sense right and so you're right it's like unearthing all of these multiple layers of of being that we've just learned over over time we were habituated to it too like we're so habituated to even to something like anxiety you know yeah. you, maybe right we can live our whole lives with a, something like anxiety and it feels normal to yeah. us
0: to feel that
1: anxiety right like yeah. that's normal I mean normal. i've had this
0: conversation <laughs> with my mother where it's like um you know my uh speaking of kind of mother wounds not that my mother has <laughs> wounded me in this way but she's a very anxious person and it stems from a trauma when she was a child that uh, she never just really dealt with and healed with and she would hate to think that she had passed that on to us, um, me and my brothers, but we all have anxiety. Um, and, and I was speaking to my mother about it just recently and encouraging her to go and do some healing around this. Mm. And, and she was like, well, I, I'm kind of okay. And it's like, mum, but you don't know what life is like without yeah. this because right. you've lived with it your entire life. And and it's the same with our stories and our conditioning. We don't know what it's like without it. And in fact, most people can't even see that it's there. Exactly. That's the first step, right?
1: Like, totally. "Oh, I am living a story." <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. That's right. People can live their whole lives not realizing that that the way they experience the world is particular to their own history and that there, it's just one of um, endless uh, possibilities for experiencing themselves. It's so true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about how when, when you do kind of, I hate the term wake up because I, f- I think that's fucked. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> a fan of like woke and all that shit. Um, oh, but, I understand. You know, like it's like, I well, do. other people are asleep. No, they're not. When you have that awareness of, you know, when you first get that awareness of, okay, so if I can change and I don't want to like, be all Tony Robbins style or self-help guru type on this stuff because I think that there are, um, you know, as many ways to enlightenment or not as there are human beings. Um, but when you first get that awareness and you're like, oh, maybe if I just change the way that I'm showing up and the way that I'm thinking about this and the way that my my perspective on this and you shift that and then you see it's like a domino effect and everything kind of shifts and the person that you saw as an asshole is no longer an asshole they're like a wounded Absolutely. child you know? and and your whole world can can change just by slight little yeah. adjustments in your awareness and your perception so I totally agree and I think for me what wo- that sort
1: of woke thing is a totally separate concept to me than the waking up part but I love the idea just a, a becoming conscious yeah. of of this idea that there, there's a story playing out in me and the way that I experience myself in the world is not um, like an innate given. It's not like I was, you know, we, all, we often think about personality, right, as something we were born with. We're born with temperaments. There's for sure that there is something to that. And we're born with influences on us. Like even in utero, we're, we're influenced by the environment of the womb yeah. through stress hormones of the mother. You know, we know that now. There's research around that. But, you know, beyond that, you know, I love this idea of thinking about personality as just our, the habituated ways we behave in the world and, and how, you know, and and basically we see ourselves through the behaviors we enact again and again and again. But it is just this repetition of this enactment of a certain way of being. But you're right, as soon as that starts to shift this whole concept of this personality that we thought was something that was so fixed from the time we were born. Like, "Oh, I was just born like this, you know, I was yeah, just yeah.
0: born I'm an anxious just, person. Like, you know, some of the stories that I've had over the years have been like, you know, I'm just not someone who wins anything. I'm not like a winner. Exactly. You know, I'm not like That's the chosen right. one. I'm not the golden haired child. The, all those kind of stories right. that I carry throughout my life. And now that like, like I feel like my, um, I don't know if you've ever seen that image of Akalanda who's like a um, Hindu goddess and the it's like um, there's some, if you Google Akalanda, it's like um, this image, it's done the rounds on Facebook and it's a woman cast in concrete and she's cracked open through different areas and there's light coming oh, out. Oh,
1: yeah. And she's the goddess mm-hmm. of
0: never not broken. Um Love so So embra- yeah. embracing the fact that we're all broken and, you know, and so on. And so I feel like oh. I've been like that, you know, like the, then I'm never not broken. And that's why I hate the I'm woke, you're asleep, conscious, unconscious thing, because it's like, no, we're, we're all just having our journey. And totally. even the most conscious people are still acting from unconscious and subconscious programming. Right. So there's no question. So yeah. we can never be consciously. Conscious of everything, it's a constant layering and unlearning, you know, which never and honestly, ends.
1: Totally, and honestly, for me, Carly, if I consider so, somebody who's in the process of waking up or becoming more conscious, those people to me are the ones that are are actively trying to see their humanity in its fullest, in the full spectrum, you know, of its of its expression. And they're actively trying to see that in other people, too. Yeah, totally. So they would so so those are the people who would never kind of classify us as in in categories like that. For me, someone who's truly waking up is someone who's who's really doing the work to cultivate compassion and to cultivate empathy and really try to see themselves and others in this fuller light. And that's, that's a totally different thing from this kind of woke conversation, right? Yeah. Where it's like, it's like a moral superiority thing. Yeah, it's like, yeah, hierarchical. I'm Look totally at me and my wokeness,
0: you yeah, poor asleep. I have a big, big, problem
1: with that, which is kind of a weird thing being American and like, I'm also biracial. And I just, I see these conversations happening all the time online. And I, I, I have to admit, I cringe a little bit when I hear this, I really don't like the word woke. <laughs>
0: for that reason (laughs) totally because of the stigma not the stigma but like the the um yeah the hierarchy yeah and the disconnect the um the disconnect that that implies you know yeah so and that your
1: your experience is somehow less valid than mine yeah. And I'm gonna tell you how reality is and just listen to me more.
0: Totally. You know? like, yes. I have a hard time with it too. <laughs> so one of the reasons that I was so uh like, oh my God, yes, I definitely need to speak to this woman was because in when when I had put out my thing saying oh, I'd really love to speak to some people about creative creativity and expression and mental well-being. And you had mentioned that you did some um, dance program in a Black Baptist church. And I just want to hear that story. So
1: can you just lay it
0: on thick, lay it on? (laughs) Yeah, sure. You know,
1: so this was um, quite a few years ago now, but I was um, in my master's program at University College London in England, and I was um, studying anthropology and I have to say, I, I was there, you know, to study anthropology because I loved this idea of studying the human condition. Like, mm. that was always something that fascinated. It, it felt, I think, in, at one point in my life, it felt like um, almost like a, a strategy, a survival strategy for me. You know, like, how do you cope in a world where, um, you know, there's so much suffering around you in, in varying, you know, to varying degrees? Um, but even just like the suffering of non-expression, mm, right? Totally. Like the, the oppressiveness of that. Yeah. And, you know, as a child, I think a lot of us, we can kind of sense this in the air. We, we, we might not be able to put words to it, but we can feel, you know, the way, um, families repress things, or we can feel the oppression of ho- having to hold your body in, or having to hold your emotions and, uh, not express your joy freely. And so I was always, really motivated by this kind of question like where does this come from you know where do these where did these where does this um this the suffering in the environment around me come from and so it took me on a very long and winding journey and went off on different paths of course as as one does in a quest like that but I ended up studying anthropology and one of I was there motivated by this like let's learn about being human you know like <laughs> what what are we doing here, you guys? you know like, and I was just really um excited, kind of um just so passionate uh to learn about what it meant to be a human being, and I remember all these other people in the program were kind of like from Oxford and like it was all it was a very academic thing, you know, and people were like hiding books from each other in the library, and I'm like, what's happening? like I thought we were all here to like understand ourselves and each other, <laughs> <laughs> but it was hilarious, but um. But really, so I, I ended up, we had to do like a a thesis project, you know, the end of the year, um, thesis, and it involved doing an ethnography. So we were going out into the field somewhere, we were going to study some aspect of culture, and we were going to write that for the thesis. So I, I remember at the time, being very, very interested in um, aspects related to gender, like, so, um, women's experience in the world. Um, I was very curious about the body and how uh, on sort of a mainstream cultural level we talk about and we think about and we conceptualize about the body, you know, like what it means to be embodied. And it was something, it was a, it was a kind of a question that always intrigued me. And I think at following this thread of, You know how in in my world I grew up with my mom. My mom was um, white, Caucasian American. My father is African American, but I grew up primarily in my mom's world there was you know you'd go to church and you would sit you would sit in the pew and it didn't matter if you were moved by something especially if you were moved by something that someone said you should almost like hold the body really really <laughs> tight and really really still and like don't dare like say anything or you know and like it, everything in me wanted to be like yes you know that was gold you know and i'm not religious at all i'm not religious at all but like any other human being, when you hear something
0: that moves you, it moves you, right? So, um, uh, most yeah, l- like a lot of people, it's just like internal, though, right? Like if the movement is happening internally, and there's like nothing happened on the outside. <laughs> this is it, but it's almost like, I mean, it, like the, the amount of energy it
1: takes to hold an e- expression in sometimes. Mm-hmm. just to sidetrack a little bit, my, my adorable, gorgeous grandmother, who she was, um, her parents had come over from Germany. Um, she had this very kind of typical puritanical, you know, view of the world. And, and, you know, life was a series of obligations to be met. You met those obligations. I, I remember asking her when she was 95 years old, I was like, grandma, um, would you say you were happy in your life? And she looked at me like really deadpan and was like, well, I don't see what happiness has to do with anything. And I was like, wow, like the, you know, like the worlds that we live in. And, and she, she could never in her life say the words, I love you. She could never say, I love you to her children. And it was like, it, it would literally get stuck almost right here. in her Adam's apple It would get really big. And you would almost have this sense of you just like could tap her on the back a little bit. The words would come tumbling out, but she couldn't let them out. So that was the world that I had you know been a part of, and I was so curious about you know what I experienced in the black community because i um it was some it was a community that I'd always been very drawn to you know it's a longer story than we probably have time for, but I didn't know my father growing up. I didn't actually know my father was a, an African American man
0: oh wow, even know
1: <laughs> totally until I was like thirty five or something. No, it was, it was a little bit earlier than that. It was 2006. I found out. Yeah. And so, you know, like I was always very strangely drawn to the black community and, you know, um, you know, how, how I, how I experienced expression in the black community, especially. So I decided to go to this, um, South Chicago black Baptist church and I, made contact with them and we organized
0: it that I would spend 4 so, months sorry at this yeah. stage I'm fascinated so at this stage <laughs> you still didn't know that you're, you had african american blood running through your veins no but you were no. just like drawn to this that's so i'm getting like goosebumps that is freaky shit <laughs>
1: i mean Carly seriously i mean i spent time in in south africa in like um in in uh studying uh, african indigenous churches and like i mean like I, I was always ex- incredibly drawn to the community and, and no real explanation for, I mean, during this time, during the study period, my mom said to me at one point, this is, she actually knew the possibility existed, but she had never said anything. And where I was doing my, working on my thesis one night and she just, saw. Uh, I was just talking about my passion for all, for the community and, 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 uh, things I was learning. And she looks at me and she goes, well, maybe your father's black. And I look at her, and I was like, "What do you mean? Maybe my life? <laughs> who says that? You know, like I, it, was, it was still going to be. It was going to be two more years before I actually found out. Wow! But it was just like, <laughs> totally left field. So I ended up going to this um, church, and now this is this church is actually really interesting, and it's an, it's important to the for the context because it it exists within a community. So if you imagine like Chicago." Um, at the t- you know, it, like many northern US cities, you know, they were the site of what, what they called this like um, southern migration. Like, so many, many, af- you know, post slavery, many black Americans migrated from the south, south. Yeah, um, right. southern United States to the northern cities, right? And they took up jobs there in like the steel industry. And this particular community was um, a hub for the steel industry, for a lot of work around there, for this uh, the Pullman Palace Car Company, which made like train cars, really fancy train cars. And there's a whole, even still in this area, there's like a whole Pullman district. It's a very distinct community with these, it's really an interesting little place. But like many other northern cities, when the steel industry kind of collapsed, you know, the, the communities just fell into deprivation. You know, there, there were no jobs left. Um, and it became a very, um, uh, destabilized, you know, community. There were a lot of, there was a lot of, uh, gang violence. There was a lot of drug and alcohol abuse, just a lot of instability and insecurity just inherent in the community itself. And this church then grew up in, you know, in this space, in this kind of uh, environment where it was very, very difficult for the people within that environment to trust each other, to trust one another, right? If you can imagine like social relationships are much harder when there's, when crime is so rampant. And so here this community comes, this this preacher comes and he starts this church community that grew to, I think think at the time when I went to go visit it and work with, with with the praise dance ministry they had 22,000 members. What? Yeah. Right. Like there's, listen, there's a whole nother discussion about like black theology and the very, it's, 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 um, an incredibly powerful agent against, you know, the, the, the economic and the emotional and mental and deprivation that comes from living in, in an environment that is so rife with, you know, suffering and instability like that. They do so much good work in communities like that through through the church.
0: Do so you think – uh, sorry, this is like a yeah, random no. question, but do you feel like part of the reason – because, I mean, you know, I live in Australia where there isn't really – I mean, it's just a melting pot. There isn't really a undercurrent of any cultural. I mean, we have an incredibly the, the oldest culture in the world here and not not plugged into it really at all, although things are uh, slowly changing and I have, you know, hope for the future. My little daughter okay. is singing um, a song, Jingiwala, Jingiwala, which means... G'day or welcome in, like, the local Indigenous language, which I think is, like, so beautiful. Yeah, when, like, I had no idea. I was actually speaking to an old teacher of mine who I messaged because it was Australia Day and it's just, like, I, I feel very uncomfortable about that day. And I had reached out to her because she was like a rogue teacher who taught us about the actual white Australian history. And I was mm. just so moved and impacted by that that it stayed with me for the rest of my life. And I had reached out to her to thank her. but um so oh. so that having said all that, right? like from from I'm standing here from a from a country that doesn't really have much of a religious aspect and quite possibly because we are one of the wealthier countries in the world. Um, so, and, and this brings me to that question in a really r- roundabout, convoluted <laughs> way. <laughs> but I love, question, it. I love it. Yes. <laughs> but the question is, <laughs> do you feel like in those areas where there are a lot of social problems and not a lot of hope, that religion has a stronger bearing because they they need to have some kind of level of hope and um faith i mean
1: there's no question that that plays a role and i think especially when you're looking at um the black american community you have the whole um element of slavery mm. you know that was very much a part of their past you know not that far distant either yeah. and I think you're right black theology it, it has a very particular flavor and it's a it's a it's a theology of liberation, mm. but I think that's what in part makes it so relatable like yes, there are religious elements and aspects there's no question that the the way that they talk about their experience is going to be infused with you know Christian ideas and christian um vernacular however when you know when I was there. Amongst them and their in their community and they and the, and the the way the particular way that the black you know the black theology of liberation is talked about it is so relatable to any human being who has who has lived under the you know when you look around in the world around you and see you see all of this evidence in the world around you that you should that you should not be happy that you should not feel joy that you should not trust life. And despite all of that you can see it all as evidence and then you can say I choose to trust anyway I choose to feel joy anyway I cho- and like this this to me was was like the the magic that their theology gave them. It was like, l- we see what's happening in the world, but we choose to be active agents in creating something else.
0: Mm.
1: So you you have this environment of so much chaos, really so much chaos around. And yet you have this oasis that's able to create within it, within the relationships of trust and stability within it, this, um, I called it the sort of faith economy where you're, You're able to know that when you act in a certain way that the people will be able to – there's a predictability in in terms of how people interact with one another and that they're going to live by certain ideas, right? They're going to – they want to promote, um, you know, uh, more uh, joy. They want to promote more faith and belief, that you know, if they act in the world, that they will be able to create something good and something beautiful as a result of that, and they prove that to themselves time and time again when they act, you know it's so it's this like feedback loop, and I think it's a remarkable feat for any individual and especially for a community like that mm. to turn what looks to be like a devastating situation into this powerful force for. For change and agency, you know, I—I I, there was at one point during my time at this church, and like I said, I'm not religious at all, at all. I've studied religion though, and I love—I would say I love many aspects not of religion, but of faith.
0: Yes. And
1: right, and spirituality, yeah. and and how and how faith moves people in the world, and how it orients them in a very particular way, and. I think that has always been something so interesting to me. So I was at this church and I, I started off as an anthropologist, but I ended like they have like a two hour, um, they have like a two hour service every time they have a service. So like the full first hour is praise. It's a praise and worship hour. So it's dancing, it's dancing and singing. I mean, literally. And like talk about create, talk about getting in touch with through dance and through music and through song with your joy, with your joyful expression and your beingness, being present. I mean, where, present.
0: where do we get the opportunities to do that? <laughs> you know? Yes, Carly.
1: Yes. I mean, this is what, right. I, and you walk into a church like this and you are immediately like, if you were to go, Carly, if you were to go to this church, like just show up on a Sunday and be like, I'm going to just check it out. And you open the door immediately. What's going to happen? Cause this happened time and time again and I would bring my mom and I'd bring some friends sometimes too, is that you would be surrounded by this group, often of, of like very busty black women who are like hugging you. Welcome. Come on in. Yeah, like so happy to see you, this stranger they've never met before. And yet you're engulfed in like this love. It's really so beautiful. But I was, I was in the church this one time and at the end of every uh, praise and worship um, or I think it's actually at the end of the service in general, they have what's called, what's called an altar call. And it's basically an invitation for anybody who wants to join the church community to come up and come up to the altar. And they're, they're kind of embraced. And I'll never forget this one day I was standing there and, you know, there, there's like maybe four people standing at the front of the church and they have their arms extended and they're just waiting for anybody who wants to come up. And, oh my God, Carly, there was this man standing at the back of the church by the doors, just, he just had walked in off the street. Literally he, he was sleeping rough. You, you could tell, right. His clothes were tattered and torn and really dirty. He had like a limp. He, he looked very thin and um, just really, you know, down and out. And he started just like slowly limping his way towards the front of that church. And I could not keep it together because I just knew that that man was going to find a home, Mm. you know, amongst these people and that they would take care of him.
0: Yeah. And how important is belonging, a sense of belonging to our well-being, you know, and connection? I mean, and this is the piece about the creativity thing. It's not about what you do. It's about the connection that you create right? Absolutely. So it's not about the way, the, the mode of expression or the modality that you use or the, whether it's a paintbrush or a whatever, or, you know, it's, it's about the connection that you create within you and whatever else that thing is. Totally. And I think you're right. And I think, and and, and the,
1: the extent to which that how, how your creative expression opens up something in you that invites others in like totally. does it does our uh, does the does the way that we connect to ourselves open us up more to the world like that is so fundamentally key you know does it allow us to be more authentically who we are and in that authenticity our our, our hearts literally our hearts more open
0: yeah and, and I mean we can feel it you know, there was, yeah. um. so about a year ago, I started back at singing lessons. That's really where this journey started for like creating Make Some Noise. I had loved to sing as a kid, but I was constantly, you know, I don't know, met with like, well, you're not really that great and, you know, like not not making it through auditions and stuff like that and always someone was better than me so like kind of why bother and I sang in front of like some people who were super close to me and they kind of shut it down like well you're not really that good so I shut it down and um you know after all this journey of like me with my my various mental health challenges over the years and reconnecting and deconditioning and all that kind of jazz Music always just, it, it moves me on a cellular level. Like I can actually feel it mm-hmm. moving me, like that goosebump feel that we get, you know, when we're in totally present. Absolutely. That, that comes to me through music. And so I thought, you know what, there's something in this. So I went back to singing and the first session that I did, my singing teacher, who I'll have to get on for one episode, she'd invited me to sing Let It Be. Just like, just straight up sing it, right? I mean, what a song to do, fucking hell! So, oh, gorgeous. <laughs> so I sang it, and it was pretty, and I was like, "Let it be, let it be." It was nice oh. enough, and then she went through this process of reconnecting me to my emotional, and I was felt very unsafe and very exposed, and it was like there were boxes of tissues. And two hours later, we recorded another version of it me with me connected to the story, with me connected to my emotions. And I, and I sang that. And there's an episode of my other podcast, Carlosophies, which is, I think it's episode 150, where I play both and, Mm. and you can feel the difference. You can feel the difference when someone is playing it safe to when someone is in that deeply connected moment. And that is the thing that creates the connection. And that is the thing that creates the belonging, right? So it's like those people up there with their arms open, they are genuinely in the moment offering their hearts to this man, of course, he's going to find a home in that because that's right. It's the home in him that he's seeing. right?
1: Yes, totally. I love that so much. I mean, I love the the whole conversation about singing too. We know that singing actually tickles the the ventral vagal system, like the the, the vagus nerve, which has, which has this powerfully calming effect on us too. And it, it, and it's also, you know, related if you believe in chakras at all, but like, you know, opening this channel, yeah. and I think there's something about going into the body and coming because sometimes we sing from our heads, right? You know, we sing <laughs> yeah. literally like, "How am I being inter- perceived right now?" Yeah, as yeah. I like, as I squeak some sound out <laughs> through my voice, but really, my vocal box is so tight and it's so subtle sometimes. The way and I'm exactly the same way. I I love to sing, and music moves me to my cells, to my bones. I mean, really deeply. And nowadays I just belt it out. And I'm like the first person on the dance floor. I don't drink a d- drop of alcohol. And I am just like out there, like living my best life, you know, because it's, it's, it's every, like it, it, it I need that kind of expression. But I also remember, I remember how many times people would, you know, if someone would say something like, who sings a song, Corrine? And I'd be like, huh? And I'd be like, yeah, not you, it's the Beatles, you know, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, I just want to sing, you know, and yeah. I live now by the motto that there's this beautiful African proverb that goes, if you can, if you can talk, you can sing, if you can walk, you can dance. Totally. And I live by
0: that now. Yeah. So I yes. totally. But there is also that point, and I'm not sure if everyone experiences it, but like you talking about walking into this church and all the singing and the music. Like there are times where I was just not able to even contemplate going into a space like that because I just couldn't handle emotionally what would come up on me, you know, within me because I just didn't have, like there was no, I had no outlet for expression. So like you were saying earlier in the piece, you know, we're just sitting there, stone, Mm -hmm. deadpan face, holding all the emotion in. Um, You know, that's certainly been me and my experience is. Totally to hold it in, a conditioning to hold it in. We can even learn to fear our own emotions,
1: right? I mean, that's exactly right. I think especially for us and and for for many of us, especially as women, you know, emotions like anger, for example, Mm. can feel so destabilizing and so scary to feel. And this comes from, of course, living in a culture and living in an environment and, and living, like, as you said earlier, with very well-intentioned people, very well-meaning parents who themselves didn't realize, you know, they learned as well how to be in this world and how to be in their bodies and
0: and what was safe or not for were us, able. you know? like exactly. it's, it's often not safe for us to express those things for reasons that we have not really much insight into. But, you know, for example, a parent who has gone through trauma may be afraid of having a child that is, you know, highly emotional because it triggers stuff within them. So, you know, so That's we're exactly taught. Right. And, yeah. and other people who didn't have a parent that could express their love for them so they're not really you know, built to do it. They don't know how. They're afraid of it. We literally don't learn how to be with emotion.
1: Yeah. From uh, in that way, right? From the time we're little. And I think, you know, I think it's so important for kids and as a as a mom as Mm. well. You know, I I see how 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 important my work in that sense is to to be fully with my emotional world in a way that neither shuts me down nor overwhelms me in emotions. Now, it doesn't mean that never ever happens, right? But the work is to learn to be with all of our emotional experiences with more and more equanimity as, as much as we can. We learn, and we learn in that process to develop um, emotional resilience and the more emotionally resilient and the more capacity for emotional expression and the full spectrum of emotions that we have, of course, the more we're able to allow from our children, like a parent who's scared of their own emotions is going, like you said, is going to be scared of their child's emotional, strong emotional expression. You know, grief for us in my family, um, I, my mom died now three, almost three years ago. And I had this just fantastical experience with grief during that time that was one of the most, one of the rawest, most authentic experiences I've ever had. It was so beautiful because you know we know how how we meet an experience like grief is going to influence how, you know literally how we experience those moments and how whether or not the grief is able to roll through us like thunder, yeah. you know like this incredible thunderstorm that it is. But what I found is that every every wave of grief that I met, my mom died unexpectedly, and I hadn't seen her for two years before she died. And there's all, there was just so much, you know, given the particular history I had with her, there was just so much in that experience of grief. And so these waves would come crashing against me. And, in in you know, instead of resisting them in any form, I gave myself so fully over. It's like, you know, that thing you fear the most, mm-hmm. you know, the most liberating thing in the world sometimes can be sticking your head into the mouth of the beast totally. and saying just like going just going for it and you you know you make your you just open your body in this kind of like surrender posture and you're just like just do it just do it i'm i'm not going to resist and you know the, it would just shudder and shake and you know shake the foundations of my body and i would fall to the ground sometimes and i would sob and sob and sob and then on the other side of each of those waves what i found was this incredible joy I mean, I, I felt I've never—I don't know if I've ever felt more connected to myself, more present in my body, you know, because grief is such a demanding experience. Like it needs you to be right there with it; otherwise, you're going to be in some trouble, right? It's—it's it's hard to be with grief. It's hard to deny grief when it when it comes. But when we can actually meet it, and and this is something I, I could take this back to the church because. You know, this is one of the things that really appealed to me about a community like this, because I I had at, at that point in my life I had never witnessed um, in a community forum like that the ability of people to just break utterly down.
0: Yes. You know,
1: in just such a raw way. There was this one, this one. Um, because I, I was going now. You know, like three four times a week for months. And there was this one early morning, it was like a Wednesday morning uh, service, and it was 7.30 in the morning. And I was standing in this congregation and they had this uh, this choir who was singing this gospel song called, I will, I'll trust you, I'll trust you, Lord. And the song is all about, but what if it costs my life? Or what if somebody I love dies? What if, you know, what if this and this and this, all of these terrible things that life can sometimes bring, what if all these things happen? And then the, you know, the, the, the underlying messages, I will trust anyway, I will trust life, I will trust the unfolding of life, and giving ourselves over to experiences like grief is like saying, I trust this process, I will, I will just surrender to this process. And I remember this woman, the song was being sung, I mean, can you imagine like this gorgeous choir and like these voices like, and they're sing, they sing at the end, they just sing in unison, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust. And... All of a sudden, in the back of the church, this woman starts screaming, Thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus! Thank you! And it was this mix for her of grief and gratitude. She had just lost someone recently, I, had, I came to it, find out later. But she just broke down. Like, she just broke down. She was, you know, she was like kind of flailing around, and her body was just moving in any way it seemed to want to move. And the people around her just held her in this space and I remember thinking to myself my god we don't we don't get that oh my god I can't
0: right (laughs) right like I was just thinking about um you know the the people that I've lost in my life and then I've gone to the funeral and you know like (sighs) a funeral in Australia is a bunch of people sitting down on pews with a tissue in their hand yes yeah 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 and then and then you dot, watch dot, like dot. Yeah, yeah, dot dot. Like don't don't cry too much. <laughs> yeah. Certainly don't make Wait, any make fucking it, sound. Like you do not want to let absolutely. anyone a sniff is about <laughs> as far as it goes. But it's yeah. like but then and then if you look at like tribal cultures, the wailing and the you know, like the release of that grief yeah. and the moving through it, like it's part of the process. I actually had um Bronwyn Ward on who we were talking about death and grief. And uh yeah and it, it's like as a society you know we're just we're just sitting there dabbing our eyes and our soul is crying and all that shit's just yeah. getting stored in yeah. our body right
1: that's right. That's right. Absolutely. And you're right. And like Maori, Maori culture, I was in New Zealand for four months. I studied Maori religion and mythology many, many years ago. And so, yeah. And I remember this, you know, they would have this tradition of wailing, like the women, especially in the, in the, in the tribal center, they would come, you know, and I love, of course, there's the haka as well, which is this gorgeous expression for me of, you know, this combination of, this very primal like um confrontation with
0: grief. Yeah. Have you
1: seen like yeah. um clips of
0: I mean, and I yeah, love that they do um like- the Haka because Australia and New Zealand are pretty much you yeah. know, the same thing. Um yes. but right. I do feel like New Zealand has a much better uh, understanding and uh, you know, embracing of Maori culture where Australia hasn't been the same with our indigenous people, sadly. Um right. but yeah like the haka is part of like I had lots of Maori friends at school and the haka was just part of their their thing right and right, right. and any any sports games you know a lot of Australian New Zealand sport they start with the haka it's a beautiful thing
1: yes i right i love that i love it so much but yeah exactly and the, you know so this in this in this one um in this one's uh service where this woman was starting to break down what was so magical about that was and this is something that I, this is something that I hope that we are moving into more, mm-hmm. where we're creating more spaces and more more awareness around the importance of feeling whatever, like really literally feeling the feeling into the body, and feeling noticing the impulse when it yeah. arises to express in some way. And allowing it, like the, uh, there's this that Alanis Morissette song uh, "Thank You India," which is I love. It's a song I really love. But in the song, she says, "How about unabashedly bawling our eyes out?" And it's just like this invitation to feel whatever you're feeling them when it arises. And it's going to be some time, of course, until we feel totally comfortable doing that. Yeah. But but it does also
0: take. It also does take people to step up. You know, it's like, nobody's going to make any change. It, it's often when you, when you, you know, when you are the one who is bawling at the funeral, it gives permission for others to do the same, right? That's
1: right. It's an invitation. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It's exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was when I was uh, breaking down around my mom's death and, you know, or, or having these sort of cycles of grief I recognize that too. And you can, you can see that it moves other people. And, you know, it really, I think it, it, it's a, it's an authentic expression of humanity that I think appeals to people at such a deep, deep level. They can really feel it when they set, when they see it. Um, and, it and it unites us. It, 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 I feel like the connection then between people is so much more authentic and real, you know, when we can
0: start to take off all of the layers of armor that we're so used to wearing. Yeah. In the and world. protecting ourselves, you know, and really Absolutely. it's not even protecting ourselves from other people. It's actually protecting ourselves from our own feelings, you know, Absolutely. and our own discomfort yeah. with, with feeling.
1: Yeah. And that's something, that's something that's really important in my work is really um, helping people learn how to create more capacity in their system again, to be with emotions as they come up and realizing that the, you know, the earth might quake under our feet, but then we come to find that we're actually, we're not just fine. We're better than fine often at the other end of that, when we actually allow the expression. And that's what I love so much about some of the discussions that are taking place. And, and, and a lot of the work, I'm a somatic experiencing uh, practitioner as well. And, an anthropologist. I love the culture and the history, but you know, this idea that, you know, coming out of our heads, you know, coming out of the world of the head that we've just lived in for literally, you know, decades, if not thousands of years, it's yeah. very much but particularly a part of our since the industrial
0: revolution. Revo- Re- revolution, you know, the industrial revolution has forced us to live up here and be completely kind of disconnected from our heads. It's like, I um, mean, I
1: totally, I would even go back to like, I would even go back to the early Christian church. I used yeah, to study totally. like, you know, the, how, how the body would be talked about. I mean, this relates to, to the black theology because, you know, dance within the church or even that kind of, um, that kind of expression within the church was anathema. Like you, you couldn't imagine it being, you know, that music and dance and the body and, and, um, these kind of more primal things that we consider more primal or animal, those belong to Satan, right? This is like in the vernacular of like the church, right? Yeah. Like the body belonged, you know, the body was a place of sin and carnage and like it was, it was something to be denigrated while the mind was something to be, you know, promoted and Mm. exactly celebrated. It was the seat of rationality. So your ability to conquer the body with rationality was prized. It was seen as, you know, uh, evidence of your involvement and your enlightenment and your
0: your proximity to heaven versus
1: you know, the other end. And Which is I actually mean,
0: heaven. You know, like was, I, you couldn't yeah, you can't was, have you know any more that. heavenly feelings than when you are yeah. completely in your body, embodied, moving it, yeah. music. Like, I mean, that yeah. is heaven. <laughs>
1: Totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And I think, I think that people like you and I, and like a lot of people are just realizing just how much they need that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we realize the, the, the legacy of the culture and the hit, cause you and I, we come from the same cultural legacy in a sense. We come from Judeo-Christian backgrounds, mm-hmm. you know, we've split off, we've branched out, we've evolved in different ways. But that is our heritage in many ways, and so the way that you know we even thought we the way that we even conceptualize about the body is so deeply ingrained in how we know ourselves as human beings, and we don't realize how much we learn from the, a very young age in very implicit ways. You know, about about these ideas about expression or about how we think about the body or, you know, this mind body dualism. And these are I feel like these are things that are now just starting to be healed through the embodiment movement, through this reclamation of our expression, through things like song and dance and not just professionals, not leaving it to the professionals, but like
0: all of us just like, you know, feeling it when we feel it. Totally, because that's—I think—that's the key, right? Like, we don't actually—and this is this is this is the dri- one of the main driving factors of me producing this podcast—is so that you know that it—it's not about being good at something, you know. It's not about the intellectualization of it. It's about Absolutely. the feeling that's created when you're in the creation, when you're connected to your creator, whatever, whoever that's that right. is. That's right. It is about the connection. It's not about the the production.
1: You know that's I mean? <laughs> right.
0: And I think that it's exactly, that's right. This coming out of
1: the intellect and into the body also, it, it, it takes us from, from reactivity to creativity. You know, yes. that is that, you know, because of course, you know, this because the moment we can really truly come out of the story about ourselves, you know, we, we have, we know about this idea of the predictive brain, like, you know, there's these studies now that say that our brains are less, uh, they're, they're predictive in the sense that we, we, we imagine the future based on the past is a pretty easy assumption. Um, and we know that when we're living in the heads, we just assume that, you know, the next moment will be like the one before and how we experience ourselves in the future will be like how we experience ourselves in the past only to come to find that when we actually come into the body and we tap into the, the awareness, not the left brain kind of awareness, but this more right brained embodied awareness that, that is much more, it's much broader. And it has this, it has this, it's like tapping into the quantum field of possibility, you know, where the future is not, the story of the future is not yet told. And this Mm -hmm. relates to all the work that I'm doing with moms. And like, it's like this, the the future is not a, a, is not a done deal. It's not a told story. And when we can come back into the body and back into our creative potential through the body, we can literally then shape every future moment. And that's where all of our creative capacity lies in being this, this fully embodied and expressive human being, being this spontaneous flowing, you know, we are, we know, we know that even physics knows that the world is constantly in flux. It's, no, nothing is static, absolutely nothing. The molecules, the atoms, everything is moving and vibrating, right? You know this already. But we we live from this left brain like you know this is our oh, compliment. this is my arm
0: and this is, is my, has, and this yes, is my exactly. body and this is a. And you are desk. here, Carly, and I yeah, am here. Yeah. We are very separate. Yeah.
1: And then we come into the body and we realize just how fluid and 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 unfolding all these processes are. And in that one story about the woman who had broke down and she was screaming, "Thank you, Jesus!" I have this very incredible experience that I still to this day. I mean, like. I feel like it totally reorganized my being in a moment. I was in in the congregation, they were singing, I'll trust you, Lord. This woman's breaking down, she's being held. Everybody's crying. Everybody around me is crying. We're so, we're crying with her. We're we're feeling her so yeah. deeply without it being painful. It was just felt like uh, it just felt like this, we were just holding it. And I had suddenly had this moment where it was almost like I could see myself seeing me from, um uh, from above. And I suddenly realized that this was one body.
0: Yes. All of these bodies were one body and that we were God. Yes. Oh my God. I have had that exact same experience, <laughs> <laughs> but like different. It was, I was in a sound healing. Um, it, this was when I was really pretty distilled, very disconnected from the I was running in my head all the time and I did this sound healing experience with a woman who I have to get on, Christina Charlie, and um, and part of it was we had to scream into this well and we just had to let whatever was in us out. And I was there and I was like, you know what, fuck it. I play it safe all the time. I'm just going to fucking go for this thing, right? So I'm there and I'm I just start howling. Like I'm howling and then I'm screaming and then I end up laughing and I'm crying and it's just like this whole spectrum just moves through me and in it it was like I've explained this to a few friends and it doesn't make sense I think unless you've had the experience where you are in all times and spaces and it's all aligned together and you're just like that's it. Yeah, and you're here and you're yes. everywhere and it's and there is no time and there is no space and it's just this. And and everyone is a part of it, you know? And it's like the most whoa. I was like, I'm covered in goosebumps just thinking about it. And I finished and and I sat up and everyone everyone was in their own little groups doing their thing, but everyone just turned around to me and started clapping. <laughs> oh, it's boring. because they all felt it, right? Yeah. And course, I think that's yeah. the key, right? Like we're so and and I think this is like a big part of the conversation that we've had today. We're so we're so worried about protecting ourselves and others from feeling the discomfort of our feelings when if we just express them, we'd be giving them permission to do the same. Exactly. And the world is that's so much right. better when we're feeling shit, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen to that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, I was just going to say Tell us where people can connect with you, where they can find you, and actually a little bit about the work that you're doing now. Sure. So the work I'm doing now is really focused on working with
1: mothers who, you know, have, I think, as I mentioned, who have in- inherited traumas um, from their their own families. You know, you know the trauma of, um, you know, maybe having a parent who lived with mental um, health issues, or the trauma of living in the cultures that we live in, where we don't, where we have this much limited expression. And I think in many, many ways, we, as women, um, as mothers, I mean, there's so many factors that go into being a mother in this world too. That could be a whole nother conversation. Right. But Hmm. it's very, very much the work that I'm doing is about helping women to really go through a process of understanding themselves and how they stand in their bodies today. And like kind of, the impact of what came before, but from like almost like an anthropological lens and from a very self compassionate lens, and one that I really love to foster and help cultivate this. Um, this, not just this um, understanding of our full humanity, but also the embrace and the love of our full humanity. Like even the things we hate about ourselves, sometimes we we come to see that these were helpful strategies for us at one point in our lives, and they helped us navigate a very difficult world. So fostering that kind of perspective and also helping women through, um, you know, embodiment practices, working with emotions, working with the felt sense working with, um, understanding and nourishing the nervous system. I do a lot of work around the nervous system. Um, these are really my, this is kind of my main work at the moment. And I do this through program. Uh, I have a, a program that I created around this. Um, then I have a podcast as well called the bold as love podcast. And I'm on Instagram at, at Corrine bell. And uh, my website is and you know, it's still evolving. A lot of my work is still evolving, but, um, I'm really excited about the future and I'm having so, so much fun being a lineage healer because I really, like I said, I really see this. I see the work you're doing as that. I see the work that I'm doing as that. I see any work that anyone's doing to just be more present to their own lives and just take more responsibility as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, compassion, acceptance, taking, you know, ownership and responsibility absolutely. it's it's all part of part of the work that we it's both all do it. really it's like yeah it's actually there's yeah. a lot of crossover and similarities there which I absolutely adore so all of those links will be in the show notes and I will be checking out your podcast for sure because I mean this conversation has just been so delightful um and I'm so glad we made it happen So thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, Carly, it was so much fun talking to you, really. It was really fantastic. And I I love the podcast and I'm going to keep listening. So thank you so much for having me and for such a lively discussion. It was great.
0: Awesome. And that's a wrap. Go to CarlyNimo.com to find ways to connect to your creativity and live life on your frequency. Until next week, make some noise.